Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. That you're hearing us over EWTN radio or maybe the internet, but it's all provided by EWTN. And so I'm very grateful to EWTN for allowing us to do this weekly program. In this program, I invite a guest to join me to share about some particular scripture texts that were uh, encouraging in their walk with Jesus Christ, their connection to the church, and particularly in today's case, the verses that we're looking at, the guest today chose because they had uh, quite, a do, quite a bit to do with his vocational call. And, uh, and that's pretty neat. Our guest today is John Nargang. John is, uh, uh, will be the guest on my Journey Home program on EWTN on Monday, July 5th, but he's joining us today on Deep in Scripture to talk about a few scriptures that he chose as important to him. Let me tell you a little bit about John. John is a former secularist and agnostic, uh, and then he actually in the in the biography he's got dot 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 after that, which means <laughs> there's, there's more to that story, which he may go into in a moment. He came into the church in 2006, is currently in discernment for the priesthood. He is a postulant for the Marians of the Immaculate Conception a Polish-Roman Catholic men's religious order whose American province is based in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. John will be entering a novitiate with the Marians, uh, the second stage of formation for religious, religious life uh, later this summer in August. So I, I welcome him to the program. I want to remind you that uh, this Deep in Scripture program is connected to a website, deepinscripture.com, where if you connect to that web website, You'll find out all the information about the Coming Home Network International that sponsors this program, as well as all the archived programs in the last three or four years. You can also watch us in the studio today, live on the internet, so we'd love to have you join us on this program. Now, before John joins us after the first break, let me read the scriptures that he's chosen for today. He's chosen first a passage from Matthew 19, verses 9 through 12, and then a, le a section from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 7, verse, verses 32 through 35. Both of these have to do with the vocation, whether a person is called to be married or celibate. Uh, the choices that we make, not primarily because we decide that's what's best for us, but discerning whether this is something that God has called us as we continue to discern our vocation in our lives. So let me first read the Matthew 19 passage in which we hear Jesus giving instructions to his disciples, beginning at verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. And then our second text for today's discussion comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 32-35. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned with the things of the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. 
save the dates. On October 9th and 10th, the EWTN Family Celebration will be coming to Mother Angelica's hometown of Canton, Ohio, and we hope to see you there. Join the EWTN family as we celebrate the life and legacy of Mother Angelica. Saturday, October 9th, and Sunday, October 10th. Log on to EWTN.com or call 205-271-2989 for more information. And stay tuned. More details will be coming soon. If you enjoy the Journey Home Television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Grody's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grody's book, Journeys Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody, joined today by John Nargang. John, welcome to Thank Deep in you. Scripture. Thank you, Marcus. Great welcome to be here. Welcome here to uh, Coming Home Network International and, and the studio. And uh, uh, thank you for joining us on the program. I know you're not a biblical scholar, <laughs> so I want you to relax. That's not what we're expecting of you. You're just a man like all the rest of us on the journey. But you found that some of these scriptures were helpful to you in discerning specifically your call. Before we get to that though, it might be good, uh, even though you're going to be on the journey home here in about a couple weeks, why don't you take a moment though just to tell the audience a little bit about your own journey. Sure, sure. Happy to be here, Marcus, and thank you. Um, well, I was, uh, I was born in 1980 and I was baptized into the United Methodist Church. And, um, uh, but, but I had very, very little religious formation growing up uh, because when I was about in sixth grade, my family and I stopped going to church. Um, I had somewhat of an interest in, uh, in God and in truth uh, through high school, but I would characterize myself as uh, an agnostic. And, um, but uh, I, I became interested when I was young uh, in the University of Notre Dame. And uh, I ended up applying to Notre Dame and getting in. And, um, I uh, was exposed to Catholicism, and that started a whole journey that lasted uh, several years, uh, a number of years, and then um, I um, uh, ended up, uh, after thinking about it for a good long stretch, uh, converting in uh, 2006 and being welcomed into the church after a lot of uh, ups and downs. Uh, and <laughs> Which they can hear when you're on the journey home here in a couple weeks, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right, that's right. And uh, I was uh, happily accepted uh, into the church. And not too long after that, about a year after that, um, I started to have the feelings uh, uh, for the priesthood. Um, before that, um, though, I, uh, I had uh, some Protestant friends, and we would uh, talk about Scripture sometimes, and we got on the discussion of um, uh, celibacy in the priesthood. And uh, my Protestant friend, a married pastor, uh, father of three children, um, we got to talking about that, and that's how I came across these verses, and, and, be, and I hadn't seen them, and I became very fascinated then uh, by, by those verses. And, um, and then, in a way, it was sort of a preparation, because when the feelings of the priesthood came, I was familiar with those verses, and so, along with my growing faith in Christ, was uh, sort of the conviction that, hmm. that He would see me through this part of things, too, that uh, uh, through the challenges of, of being celibate, and, and fixing my eyes on the kingdom of heaven, and, and uh, and that's continued to this day into my formation. So. One thing I, I wanted to mention to the audience that I, I jokingly said a little while ago that you're not a biblical scholar. But in many ways, your study of scripture is now a part of your formation yeah. uh, towards priesthood, and you're about ready to embark on that in, in with with all five feet here pretty soon. You'll be yeah. very busy. Uh, but um, uh, one of the reasons that we have the Deep in Scripture program is that one of the mottos, if you will of the Coming Home Network International is that uh, based on John Henry Cardinal Newman's comment to be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant, that we, we recognize that being deep in Scripture and deep in history is what helps you become deep in Christ. Those are very important parts of it. But your own journey both to Jesus Christ in a deeper way and to the church to a certain extent 
did not involve being deep either in scripture or history. That's what you're picking up on now. That's that's true. That's true. Through a lot of uh, my coming to know Christ and 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 the church, uh, a lot of it was through the lived example of of certain holy people, very holy people. Uh, among them was a, uh, a Catholic lay worker in Chicago who I read about uh, when I was younger. Uh, but then also, uh, I'd say principally Mother Teresa, uh, and um, learning about her, reading about her, watching uh, documentaries on her, but but also uh, having the opportunity to volunteer with her missionaries of charity. Um, that sort of lived example, I think, made the strongest impression of all. And then a lot of my efforts were to so, so, sort of uh, to catch up on history of the church and, and scripture studies to right. to sort of round out my Christian formation uh, early on. So, well, I can guarantee from my own experience and those of you that listening who've listened to the Journey Home program for the last twelve plus years that becoming deep in history and deep in scripture will just make you a stronger Catholic. I can guarantee it. You'll discover the beauty of the church has been here since the beginning and. And, uh, and that the scriptural and historical foundations for that are very solid. Um, now these particular scriptural texts that you've chosen are, uh, are fascinating, I think, for a number of reasons. And one of which is, um, my own background as a lifelong Protestant until I came into the church 17 years ago and then served as a pastor for 10 years and then years in seminary. We didn't deal with these very well. We really did not. Um, look straight at Matthew 19 at all. We would look askance at it and, and jump to the next section. We might deal with the section right before it, dealing with marriage and divorce. And then we got to this and kind of skimmed over it, went to the next. And even the First Corinthians 7 passage, we affirmed it, but in America, I mean, has this been your experience? In America, there's really not much room for celibacy. Yeah, yeah. I think that's definitely true. I, I think our our culture is so kind of hypersexualized through the media and and movies and, and especially music among today's youth. At the the constant drumbeat of the message is uh, is is sex and that you need to find fulfillment in sex and yeah. you're not expressing yourself. Period. If you're not expressing yourself sexually, that that goes along with that. And I think that um, and, and so in a sense. When I came across these verses, it was actually very refreshing, and, and I think um, it offers an alternative view that really points to, um, in a way, to heaven and, and to setting your mind on, on sort of a higher order of things on the purely spiritual level. And I think that that, that stands in stark contrast to so many of the messages in, in American society today. Oh, I mean, in our culture, the word love has primarily taken on sexual connotations. Uh, for a man to say he loves another man in our modern culture carries with it sexual connotations. hundred years ago it did not. Even just as recent ago as 40, 50 years ago when uh, I listened to radio classics once in a while on, on radio, these old programs, and men would easily say they loved another man. And it didn't carry the same connotations that it does today. Although many today want to read back into it. You know, but this idea of celibacy in our culture, again, with all of this emphasis, as you said, that if if people are single by the time they're 30 or 40, they're, it's hard for them not to feel like there's something wrong with them. Right. In the midst of our culture. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I think also, to go to your point off of, um, uh, I guess, the meaning of celibacy and the meaning of love and how that term has sort of been degraded over time, I think that one of the things that celibacy does is it, it kind of almost swings the pendulum back into an understanding of the sacrificial aspect of love. Because love really, true love really is about sacrifice and, and the giving of oneself to the other. And I think that in today's society, love is associated so often with self-gratification or gratification of the senses and, and kind of, um, and, but now, you know, with, with celibacy and celibacy being rooted in the love of God, I, I think that that can broaden or maybe reorient one's understanding towards the sacrificial aspect of love, and I think that's a positive thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's turn to the first passage, Matthew 19, and I'm going to read it again uh, for those of you that didn't hear it or don't have your own scriptures in front of you. But just again to set the context, this is in the context of Jesus's uh, most thorough 
discussion of marriage, and it's in the context of uh, where he's being challenged by a Pharisee, testing him, whether it's lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause, and that happened to be a debate going on between the religious leaders during the time of Jesus. And so, in some sense, which side are you going to lean on Jesus? Which side, which side are you going to take? And Jesus didn't take sides. And this is the famous passage, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and, and uh, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And actually that means a lot to me right now because just three days ago my, wife, my oldest son got married and uh, that text was read in their ceremony. So <clears throat> um, there are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Um, and then they asked the question, well, wait a second, why did Moses give a certificate of divorce? And, and the interesting thing about that is <clears throat> Jesus says that God allowed Moses to do this because of the hardness of people's hearts, which in a way shows God's love for his people uh, when they're in a difficult time of their development. Uh, he's allowing things that other are not right. It's not really his will, but he was allowing this. Allowed Mo Moses allowed this. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. <clears throat> so, I mean, behind Moses we see this, not his intended will, but God is, is what we call his permissive will. But um, then at that point we have the passages that you want to look at. And so there's the background, this background of divorce. And he says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, and this is funny, John, you know, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. I mean, it almost sounds like a modern joke, you know. That they're, uh, but he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but all, only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are, there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He was able to accept this, let him accept this. Now, when you first heard this, uh, did you know what a eunuch was when he was talking about it? Uh, no, no, I, I didn't. I had heard the term uh, in maybe another book earlier on, uh, and, and I was interested. I. I I, I think I knew enough that, that a eunuch wasn't able to uh, perform sexual function, or I, yeah. I, and, but, um, uh, but I didn't know the history of, of eunuchs in, in, in antiquity that, that is kind of you know, expressed in uh, Old Testament. And, uh, yeah, so. Well, go ahead and talk about this passage and how it struck you when you were first uh, encountered by it. Yeah, well, well, how it struck me was, you know, this is in the context of this conversation with this Protestant pastor friend of mine. And uh, you know, so when I came across it, I, I thought, well, in a sense, I thought it was. First of all, I thought it was so important that it was Jesus Himself saying this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, this, the last, the last sentence was key for me. You know, he who is able to accept this, let him accept it. You know, that that says a few things to me. I mean, first of all, that 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 man has the, the capacity within himself to accept this this hard saying. Mm -hmm. You know, essentially. That um, and 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 also that that it's so important the part about how you know they make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven that focus on on uh, the heavenly kingdom above the focus on uh, spirit over flesh all of that really really struck me um, and it also uh, impacted me when I meditated on Jesus's life because you know in, in the Catholic church we uh, teaches and, and we learn that, that Jesus remained celibate his whole life and that he was the, um, the ideal model of, of celibacy. And so um, for him to say that and pass on in a sense that message uh, that it, yes uh, you're able to do it and yes it's a noble thing, that, that really impacted me because I hadn't, I hadn't read that before and that immediately uh, made me respect much more the position of, of the um, of the Catholic Church on on that issue for for some of most of its its priests. Yeah, it very well may have been that his disciples, Jesus's disciples, he's it's a bit rhetorical, right? He assumes 
that they know very well, eunuchs who were eunuchs from birth, men who were not able to have children, um, eunuchs who were made eunuchs, and usually that has to do with slavery and other issues like that, so they knew that. But this idea of choosing to do it yourself was probably one that they didn't think about a lot. And here we see Jesus, unmarried, dedicating his entire life to his service and the freedom that that allowed him to dedicate himself. He's not saying anything negative about marriage, but he's recognizing that God has different callings for different people. Right. I mean, that's essentially, isn't it, what it, it means there. Above, not all men can accept the statement, but only those to whom it has been given. Yeah, and and he who is able to accept this, let him accept it. And, and, and kind of, for me, uh, a corollary of that then would be uh, God gives strength to accept it. You know, God, God provides the strength for that, and I think that is so key uh, when when meditating on this. And you know, by that point in my formation, I I had understood a lot of the the rich history of the Catholic saints and you know great great monks, great great nuns, sisters who had been celibate and had reached the very heights of holiness. And so, it, it resonated to know that that with that history in mind, that yes, people with God's help had achieved that that way of life and, and had um, uh, become such holy people and, and impacted so many lives mm-hmm. um, in, in part in thanks to that choice of, of celibacy. Uh, so yeah, the, the nobility of it, um, it, it's just very, it was very striking to me and, and continues to be, especially now that I'm, I'm on the, the current path that I'm on, you know, I, I think about um, that question sometimes, but, but rarely, at least so far in my formation, there hasn't been a lot of fear about my ability to, um, to to be celibate for the sake of the kingdom, because in in growing with the Lord in this walk, I've found you know, especially during moments of quiet prayer with Jesus, that mm-hmm. you just feel Him strengthening uh, you, and and His strength becomes yours. And you know, and and I constantly go back to actually another verse I didn't include, Philippians four thirteen, where I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, and that's that's really true. And uh, you know, if if Jesus uh, is going to say this sort of thing in Matthew, uh, why, why wouldn't that fall under also these things that we're able to do with, with his help? Yeah, yeah. This, this phrase, he who is able to accept this, let him accept it, falling on the heels of not all men can accept the statement, but only those to whom it has been given. You put that in the context of even martyrdom. When you read the stories of the martyrs, today, um, uh, actually yesterday, is the feast day was the feast day of John Fisher and Thomas More, two martyrs for the faith that died in, in England during the, the English Reformation as they took a stand for what was true and, and brutal martyrdoms. Okay, well, you and I, John, can we imagine ourselves what we would we be brave enough to stand like? either of those two saints, especially, I particularly am drawn by the witness of John Fisher, Bishop Fisher, a very, very holy bishop. You know, would I be able to have that? It's hard to imagine it, Mm. but to whom it has been given, in other words, the graces given, if you're called to be a martyr, if God's going to be a martyr, he will give you the graces if you're willing to accept it. It's basically the same for this issue you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, I would I would definitely uh, agree. And, and so many uh, instances of courage among all different saints in so many different circumstances throughout history. And and yeah, and actually, you know, the, the subject of martyrdom is kind of a good comparison because uh, some of this stuff is, so, is sort of relative. And you compare it to something like martyrdom, well, <laughs> celibacy, yeah, that's, you know, I can handle that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but. I mean, to the eyes of many in our culture, they see the choice of celibacy like martyrdom because you're giving up so much, you know. Right, right. And, uh, you know, Jesus is putting it in the context of, 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 for the kingdom. Yeah. You know, Origen took this a little too seriously. In history, the the Origen actually literally castrated himself in obedience to this. Those who make themselves eunuchs, well, that's not what Jesus meant. He was, Mm -hmm. like in many other cases where he's telling you to cut off your hand if it 
this hyperbole, hyperbole yeah. he's using right. there. But uh, let's take a break. We'll come back because I want us, before we go on to the First Corinthians passage, what I'd like to do, John, is to even talk about the relationship of this passage in Matthew 19 to the two parts of Matthew that follow after it in the, in the scriptures to even demonstrate more of what Jesus is calling us to in the, this gift of celibacy. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by John Nargang, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you too will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website www.chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by John Nargang. We're looking at, uh, we're looking at scriptures that, that deal a bit with the call of celibacy particularly Matthew 19, so we're first starting with the teachings of Jesus. And as I mentioned before the break, John, I'd like us to take a moment to look at the, the stories that follow this section. You know, the context before was marriage. Well, the, the, the context afterwards is just as instructive. So let me first draw your attention to one, and then you talk about it, and then we'll go. Because immediately after, we have the small section where Jesus blesses the little children. And it's funny because when the children are being brought to Jesus, the disciples are rebuking the people. Get these kids out of here. You know, We're having a good time fellowship. We're going to be these lousy kids making all their noise and racket, drooling on us. But Jesus says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. How does that help us understand celibacy? Well, I think, I think it helps us understand celibacy because the children represent uh, purity of thought, purity of intention. Uh, when you think of children with uh, how expressive they are in love, it's as though um, they have that, that purity of thought um, that, that is there before sort of what you could call the rise of the senses later on in, in adolescence and growing up into adulthood. And so um, Jesus is keen on recognizing that, that mindset and so that's why he, he welcomes them right in because it's like they're a source of refreshment to him uh, because, because they have that purity of, of thought. Yeah, that, that's a great point because we live in a culture today that, I mean, our, our minds are just overflowing with impure thoughts. Yeah. And sometimes even as adults, we read back into little children assuming they think the same way mm. when they mm. don't. And we, we've lost that. And he's saying, no, that's a part of understanding your call in the kingdom. But even the next passage in Scripture is, is even more importantly connected to it because that's the story of the rich young ruler. Remember that the, the guy came to Jesus, teacher, what must I do to, be, uh, to have eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. He says, I've done all that. And then he says, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. So there's the instructions. But in that case, the man turned away. Yeah, it, it, he was, uh, it's like he was too trapped in his worldly mindset. And, he, and for a second there, he, he failed to really reach out and see the heavenly perspective, perfections, going after perfection and seeking the kingdom of heaven. And, and all of a sudden, the, the worldly possessions, oh, I, I, can't, I can't let go of that. And, and so that, that notion, again, of, of sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom of heaven Jesus saw that, that uh, he had fulfilled the commandments and he was striving. He was striving to, to be better. And so Jesus kind of upped the ante and said, well, if you're seeking to be perfect, then 
this is what you must do, but it was it was too much. It reminds you of, again, what he said earlier. Not all men can receive this yes. saying, but only those to whom it is given, or he who is able to receive it, let him receive it. I mean, it's the same context. Mm. Now, it's my favorite story in the Gospel, the rich mm. young ruler. It has a lot to do with my own life, but, but, but I find interesting, we don't know, because we don't know what it was that kept him from following exactly. It says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Was it his attachment to the possessions? Could have been that. Or it could have been his own understanding of himself. Could he live without those? You know what I'm saying? There's a bit different. Mm -hmm. See, there, is, he, is he honestly wondering, if I make this commitment, can I carry it out? And I think that's one of the things that in the postulate's time, the novitiate, that's the thing you're still trying to test. Oh yeah, you're you're still grappling with uh, uncertainty, and it's it's as if there's a whole transition of really truly learning to trust in God's providence uh, to lead you in all things, and and that's that's a process and that's an adjustment, and I'm still definitely going through that. Yeah. But no, I, I can see how that that certainly applies here. And, you know, as, as well, well. And that's what pre-Cana yeah. is about when a when a couple like my son John Mark, who just got married to Teresa this last weekend. You know, they went through a long period of time asking the exact same questions. We're making a lifelong commitment. The two shall become one. And so you got to count the cost beforehand. You know, you got to make sure. This, in a sense, this man walked away. Tradition, some traditions say that this man was Barnabas. In other words, he eventually came back. Sometimes we have to walk away. In, in essence, there's a time that you're testing your call. God, are you really calling me to do this? And that's why Paul tells Timothy, don't make a, a new convert a bishop in, in 1 Timothy 3. He, he says, you got to... Well, anyways, I want to go on even farther with this, uh, John, because then Jesus turns to his disciples, truly I say to you, it will be hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he goes to the camel and an eye of the needle. But then the disciples are astonished. Well, then who can be saved? I mean, all this stuff. Children, riches, celibacy? I mean, come on now. Who can be saved? Jesus looked at them, and what was his answer? With man, this is impossible. Well, with God, all things are possible. Yeah. That's I mean, right. that's the message for celibacy that he was saying earlier. If it's been given to you. That's right. It's, it's as if, you know, they, they, were, they were constantly one step behind in, in trying to... Uh, accept these, these truths that he was blowing them away with. But then again, it comes back to trust in God, trust in divine providence, and, and the conviction that he will provide. You know, he'll give you the strength. He'll, he'll provide for you. Yeah. And I love it because the, the man that Jesus chose to be the foundation for the church is the one that says, wait a second, <laughs> we have left everything and followed you. What then shall we have? I mean, you want us to be kids. You want us to get rid of our riches. Not even have families, and of course he was married, and he ended up. You know, tradition has it that he left his wife. Right. You know, made sure she was taken care of, but he focused his time. But then Jesus says, "Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man shall sit at his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal king." Well, oh, and how perfect is that? Because you know they're, they're basically freaking out at this point, right? <laughs> and he comes right in and says, you know, just to, to reiterate to them the reward and, and how it's all worth it in the end. Again, from the divine perspective, telling them the truth and, and what uh, when all is said and done, you know, what will be the situation to, to give them uh, reassurement? Yeah, where is your treasure? He said in another place. Where is your treasure? And and you know, I think the rich young ruler had to take a step back. You know, he, just, he couldn't, uh, in that moment, he wasn't ready to say it, which I think is a good thing in a sense that it does say that this is a, a, a question that you don't answer quickly. You've got to make sure it's not just you deciding it, but that it's God calling you. Right, and, and I think, you know, for us in uh, religious life, moving through the process of discernment, one of the blessings of having um, a number of years to move through that process is to really find that out. Can I accept this? 
because again, you know, it's one thing to read it and understand it, but then to begin to try and, and live by it and live by a certain rule of life and live by the rule of celibacy, you know, it's important to have that testing out period before you uh, commit to making perpetual vows to, to see if, if you really are able to accept it. Yeah, yeah. and to me, that's one of the biggest uh, uh, problems that came out of the Reformation was as soon as the reformers broke from Rome, almost all of them were priests and almost all of them got married immediately. In fact, there was a couple of them there that got married so quickly you wondered if that was the reason that they, <laughs> that, that they were, that was always part of the planning and so their rebellion had to do with enabling them to marry uh, the nun that, that both, you know, that, that there was a relationship beforehand. We don't know that in many cases, but but the problem is we've ended up with a complete other extreme. That within Protestantism, it's just assumed that every minister is to be married. Right. Uh, even to the point where I know from personal experience, I know from others who were ordained and then single were turned down for jobs within Protestant churches because they were still single. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of wondered too about that and, and about you know, to what extent could could that stance have been sort of a, a knee-jerk reaction sort of thing, you know, saying, uh, well, celibacy is so associated with Roman Catholicism and everything, therefore we have to do the opposite, yeah. and, and for that reason, and then going off in that direction, which, you know, is, is very unfortunate. Well, the next passage that you chose from 1 Corinthians addresses directly the benefits of celibacy for the ministry and the, and, and the struggle for those who are married in the ministry. Let me read this, 1 Corinthians 7, 32-35. Paul says, But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Now talk about how you first saw these verses when they... Well, uh, <laughs> again, when, when I was having uh, this sort of ongoing debate with my Protestant pastor friend, um, this this verse, uh, it got me to thinking about uh, so many things. Well, first of all, the whole, the whole question of, of, of focus uh, and, and just um, commitment and time, you know, the idea that um, you know, I had some sense of, uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't been married obviously, but I had some sense of the sacrifice uh, that comes along with marriage. And I mean, you know, when, when I had studied uh, from what from Jesus taught and what um, the first Christians practiced and, and what the disciples taught, I thought to myself, there's, there's no way that, that uh, or, or what a, a total challenge, uh, compromising challenge that that might be to try to, to do it all. Um, so this, this idea of, of singular focus on the Lord, uh, especially in the context of what Jesus said in Matthew 19, it, it, it just made sense on a, on a practical level uh, for, for one. So that, that hit me. And, and then also, um, this this idea of of the fruits then of of that whole orientation really struck me because again I would think of the Catholic saints of the past who had devoted themselves 100% to the Lord and in whatever whatever ministry they were apostolate they were called to whether it was you know secluded prayer in a convent or whether it was constantly giving themselves through the sacrament of reconciliation I thought. By that point, I had learned of St. John Vianney. I thought about his countless hours in the confessional every day, and I just thought to myself, wow, how, how noble that um, they gave of themselves that much, uh, body and soul, all for the Lord, and then look at that spiritual footprint, that impact that they made on the lives of millions of people you know, during their lives and, and, after, and after their deaths too. So, the the reward, the impact, um, all of that really hit me. Mm -hmm. All of those things hit me as I was uh, reflecting on this verse for the first time. Again, behind this passage, we hear the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. When Paul says, I, but I want you to be free from concern, 
Behind that, we hear Jesus saying, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, but the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. The whole Sermon on the Mount is about detachment, about singularly focused on the kingdom of God. You know, the poverty of spirit is about not being attached to the world, but be totally pure of intention, as you said earlier. That's Paul's intent here, is he wants that. And, I mean, I can conf confirm everything Paul says from my background as a married pastor. I knew from experience, as much as my wife Marilyn and I tried to serve the Lord the best we could as a married clergy couple, but it is very difficult to be a, a really good father and a really good husband and a really good pastor. It's tough because inevitably the concerns of one of those three is going to conflict with the concerns of one or the other. Mm -hmm. And invariably on a Saturday when, when there's a family that needs my time, right. my full time and attention, it'd be my son's birthday and my wife is not happy with the fact that I'm ready to say, I gotta go take care of this family. And it's not that she wasn't sympathetic to my call, but at times, you know, the, the, they, they, they conflict. Yeah, you know, my religious superior, Father Don Calloway, um, he spoke about um, uh, a neighbor of, uh, of his in, in Steubenville where he resides who um, uh, the, uh, the husband had been a, a Protestant pastor and he, and he converted to Catholicism and he sought to um, become a priest. And, and as you know, the Vatican uh, looks at those on a case-by-case -case basis right. And, right. and may, may approve it. Uh, but what ended up happening was, um, you know, he had that challenge because uh, he had a, a pretty large family, I think. And his wife ended up um, going uh, to give talks and give tours speaking about the need for celibacy in, in the priesthood because she said, I'm a first-hand witness of how hard it is yeah. to try to do both of those things. Yeah. And, and so I think that you can find confirmation of that from, from, the, you know, uh, from that end of it well, as well. One thing we do here in the Coming Home Network International, our whole reason for existence is helping Protestant ministers on their journey home to the Catholic faith. And uh, every week we hear from two to five brand new Protestant ministers that are th thinking about it about considering Rome and uh, we're here to stand beside them and over the last 17 years we've worked with over 1800 Protestant ministers from over 100 different denominations. And there's lots of issues that stand in the way and the biggest issue is their calling because most of them are married with family because they came from backgrounds where everyone was expected to be married. They never even considered whether they'd be married or not. That was the accepted reality. Now they're Catholics and they still have the call to be, to be a, they're discerning whether they have a call to be a priest. Mm -hmm. And what Rome has done is recognize this call and that they were ignorant of the church's understanding of celibacy. But generally they are not assigned to positions of pastoral ministry for the very reason that's in this text. It's very difficult, They've got to, it takes a while before they take it, especially in Catholic parishes where you got one priest and 2,500 oh, members. Yeah. I mean, that's tough. Let's take another break, John. When we come back, let's, you know, kind of wrap this up, look at some more things, especially Paul's statement about not putting a restraint on us. He's doing it to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined by John Nargang. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International, or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110.
The Coming Home Network International and Marcus Grodi invite you to join us for our 8th Annual Deep in History Conference coming this fall to Columbus, Ohio. This year, our focus will be on the authenticity of the sacred scriptures as we ask, How firm is your foundation? Join us the weekend of October 22nd as we bring together another exciting list of guest speakers. For more information, go to deepinhistory.com or call us at 800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by John uh, Nargang. And uh, John, at the end, I mentioned this, uh, this kind of final comment that Paul makes that he's doing this, this I say for your own benefit not to put a restraint upon you. What's your thoughts on that? And yeah well my initial thought is that I, I think it's great that he mentions restraint because I think a lot of people today when they look at celibacy they, they, they think restraint, repression, pushing down in an unhealthy way and I think that um, it's important to emphasize that it's really not about that. There, there is some struggle involved I think with, with dealing with uh, the rule of celibacy, but it's really about, um, in the end, freeing you in a more spiritual sense so you can more fully serve the kingdom of God. Uh, and in dealing with this kind of uh, accusation that I think sometimes gets leveled on restraint and repression, um, I just wanted to quote something very quickly from uh, a great encyclical written by uh, Pope Paul VI in 1967 uh, in the wake of Vatican II. It's called uh, Sacerdotalis Celibatus, uh, the celibacy of the priest. And he, spoke, he said that celibacy um, demands clear understanding, careful self-control, and a wise elevation of the mind to higher realities. Mm -hmm. And I like that very much because it, it, it shows how you're aware of the challenge of it, but you're working with God to overcome it. And then it opens your mind to these higher realities. Mm -hmm. And in achieving these higher realities, the soul receives great consolation and joy and, and sort of ascends, if you want to call it, the ladder of holiness, so to speak. Um, in studying this issue, I also came across a, a great quote from the diary of St. Faustina, uh, who, um, as you know, our, our community promotes um, the Divine Mercy message, right. and so we're uh, part of our formation process to, is to become familiar with the diary. And she had a beautiful, uh, simple but powerful quote on, on the spirit and, and kind of that, speaking about that that higher level, higher realities that um, Pope Paul VI uh, referred to. She said, I learned in the course of meditation that the purer the soul, the greater her communion with God on the spiritual level. She pays little heed to the senses and their protests. Mm -hmm. And that to me really points out just this, um, almost like this superior area, this, this spiritual area where the soul ascends to a certain point and then it's as if uh, it's as if it's up high in the sky, and it looks down on the senses, kind of at which are down at you know two thousand feet or whatever, and it's at ten thousand feet, <laughs> and uh, and it and it pays it little heed because uh, it has ascended to that to that point, and I and I see uh, the rule of celibacy as really sort of opening up the pathway, so to speak, to to get to those heights, and I think Saint Faustina did that and, and did it beautifully. And the church, throughout its history, you know, has. Has dealt with this issue in different ways in its in its history, and uh, from the very beginning, the emphasis was on continence, carrying over the Jewish tradition uh, of the of the priest, you know, being continent before the sacrifice. Well, that was carried on. We see this in the earliest days of the church. It's all there. The date is there, um, but the struggle became when you when men were married coming into the priesthood, or even bishop, or or popes who were married because they were married beforehand, uh, the struggle with continence, and over time the church, guided by the Holy Spirit, recognized that really this, there's this struggle, just as Paul's talking about, this restraint, the discipline, the freedom to give totally. And this verse that says, when Jesus says to the rich young ruler, Go, sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. He isn't, in the bigger context, only talking about riches. He's truly talking about discerning our call, as you are right now, John. Continue. And what is it that prevents you from giving completely to Jesus? Right. Yeah, yeah. 
absolutely and uh, it's it's just amazing how um, you know you you get a you get a deeper sense of what it is that's holding you back but then but then right in line with that you you, you have a growing awareness of, of just what God can do for you to to enable you to um, to to live out that vocation and shoot for the heights because that's what God wants us to do he wants us to shoot for the heights in whatever our particular vocation is and uh, yeah it's, so it's 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 sort of like so the challenge becomes more evident but but the uh, the ability to overcome them hand in hand along with that and uh, and you know these days I feel nothing but but hope that 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 God will continue to lead me and and lead me to that you know where he wants me to be so well and he's in the context Paul or or Jesus are not saying that celibacy is better than marriage or vice versa he's really we are called to live out the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. The disciples say, who is my neighbor? That's the big question. Well, when you're married, your primary neighbor is your wife. That is how you love Jesus. Paul says this in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. When you're married, you do that. When you're celibate, it's the poor in the street. Right. That's your wife or your child. It's the children that were coming into the story here. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. You're you're their servant. You you you're you're loving God with all your mind, heart, and soul, and you're giving yourself fully to the mass of humanity out there. And there's great nobility uh, in that vocation. And depending on what God wants for you in your life. He's asking you to, to give it uh, in in that way, uh, you know. And um, it's as you say, uh, not to say one is one is better or not than the other. It's it's, it's a discernment a, process. Yeah, yeah, for each person, what God wants you to do, and then when you when you decide it and, and discern what it, that is, go for it. Hundred percent focus on Him and, and His will for you. And uh, I love that prayer from the Father who wanted Jesus to heal His Son, and Jesus asked, "Do you believe?" And He says, "Why well, believe? Help my unbelief." I mean, that's yeah. the journey. Yeah. As you discern your place and how you can best serve God, I mean, that's the number one thing: you're serving God. But now, where can I best serve you? John, thanks for joining us on Deep in Scripture. Thank you, Mark. Our prayers are with you as you continue discernment. Uh, as you enter the novitiate this August, it's great. I want, to, I want to hear more and how that goes after you get into it, all right? Okay, you got it. And all of you, thanks for joining us on Deep in Scripture. I hope this was encouragement to you. I guess it's some, about, some of you out there are trying to discern God's call. Listen to Him. He'll guide. God bless you.